1: Welcome to this week's Failed Critics podcast. I'm Steve Norman and I'm joined by a full contingent for the first time in a little while. Uh, James Diamond is with me. Hello. Owen Hughes is with me. Hello. And. Jerry McCauley is with me. Hello. Let's just fade Emmerdale out there, shall we? I
2: thought that was part of the music quiz then.
1: No, he's, I thought... <laughs> as oh, he's, I he's thought like, I'm going to win this week. I thought, <laughs> as he said, his Yorkshire accent was going to come out more this week. I'd introduce him with Emmerdale.
2: Nice.
1: Maybe should, maybe <laughs> I should give you intro music every week. Yeah, we
0: should all have our own intro music, like Fighting Talk. Yeah. Let's move it up
1: market, you know. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to think on that. Um... <laughs> I should have had this idea 10 minutes ago and I could have done something. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Um, have we got any movie news? I believe we have.
3: Yeah, there's a little bit. Um, first up, finally, we know who's going to direct Jurassic Park 4. And it's a, it's a left field choice. It's Colin Trevorrow, um, the director of Safety Not Guaranteed. And at one point, when I think when Star Wars 7 was announced, there was a little bit of early buzz for Colin Trevorrow for that one as well, and he was meant to be doing a flight of the Navigator remake. And I don't know where that currently sits now, but yeah, Colin Trevorrow from Safe Not Guaranteed. Both uh, Jerry and I are big fans of that film. I don't know if either of you two have seen it yet.
2: No, not yet. No,
3: no, no. But um, so basically, anyone on the pod who's seen it likes it, and mm-hmm. therefore, uh, you know, I remember when me and Jerry were talking about it, we said we'd, we'd follow this man's career with interest and. He's gone straight in at Jurassic Park 4 for his next project. So
0: it's he's not one for himself there. I've got to he say, has. He's not got the track record that will merit that, really.
3: No, no, not at all. Um uh, I believe Spielberg is still heavily involved in a kind of mentoring role. And he's got he's got some previous for mentoring young directors, to be fair. Um uh, Tobe Hooper, uh, on Poltergeist and Joe Dante on Gremlin. So he you know, he it's not completely new to Spielberg. And I, I think hopefully that will, some of that will rub off on Trevorrow who was heavily influenced by 80 Spielberg in the first place. And uh, at the screening of safety, not guaranteed. I went to where he did a Q and a, he talked about how the, uh, Amblin 80s films were a massive influence on, on what he wanted to do as the director, I think the next key thing is making sure the script's decent and making sure that Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum both sign up. Um, I was going to say, there's an
0: odd contrast there because, I mean, we both said it captures that sort of 80s spirit, you know, the the kind of Spielberg of, of childhood and teens, mm-hmm. doesn't it? And we said if it was made in the 80s, this would be a teen movie.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's the odd one in that this is one of the Spielberg films that isn't quite a kid teen film. It's...
3: It's quite a family film, though, isn't it? Yeah, I'd, I'd it's
0: say aimed at must... kids, but it's not, you know, populated strongly by kids as as the main characters, is it? Do
3: no, you know? no. Um, so there's sort of
0: similarities and differences in terms yeah. of style from Safety
3: Not Guaranteed. Definitely, definitely. Um, And it'd be interesting to see if anyone from that... Pro- directors like to kind of work with the same people again, and I'd be very happy to see Mark DePlace or Aubrey Plaza uh, end up in Jurassic Park 4 as well. That, that have have they great. got a script? The
1: have, yes. they, have they got a script for Jurassic Park 4 yet?
3: I, I've not heard that. I've, I've not heard a name attached to it yet, so I honestly don't know. Um, but that's clearly the next big issue now is getting the right script. Because doesn't matter how good your director is, if they've got a dodgy script to work with, it's going to be a dodgy film. So.
2: I can't see why they're going to get a script together anyway, because you know it'll be the first one that's not based anything at all on the mm. the books on Michael Crichton's books, because they've used all that material now. Yes, uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, hadn't they already?
3: I'm I'm pretty sure one of the sequels wasn't wasn't based on his work either, though. I, I thought... Not
2: not entirely, no. But it uh, takes a lot of the elements out of the Lost World. The same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, but. If you th- the the sequels
3: weren't great and they were based on Crichton's work, I, I, uh, I don't see it can get much worse.
1: Well, yeah. so. will will they update the the Velociraptors to what science believes them to look like now, which is a little bit gay?
3: Um, maybe they'll come up with a new dinosaur. Yeah. Like that's that's what I'd hope. You can't invent no. new
1: dinosaurs.
3: I don't know, but you can you can basically bring to the four dinosaurs that people don't really know about because there's loads of dinosaurs that no one really knows about, um, and there's some pretty vicious-looking bastards. I yeah. saw when I was wandering around the natural history museum. So I went. I went to the those, I went
1: to the natural history museum not long ago, free to get in. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. You know, um, and I went to the science museum as well, and I decided that no matter how old you are, dinosaurs in space will always be cool.
3: Definitely. Definitely. The, the, the dinosaur bit at the Natural History Museum is fantastic. It's great, yeah, fun to walk there's,
1: there's there's two constants in life of what's cool. That's dinosaurs and space. Yeah,
3: uh, and space dinosaurs.
0: So yeah, so Jurassic Park four should
1: ever. be so. In that logic, Jurassic Park four should be set in space.
0: Yeah, yeah, we all saw what happened when you put Nazis on the moon, Steve.
1: Yeah, so the dinosaurs <laughs> on the moon is even better. Yeah,
3: that, the Nazis on the moon needed dinosaurs. Don't match in that film. Nazis versus Dinosaurs on the Moon. Dinosaurs are lasers on the heads. We've, we've just written them. <laughs> right. They, well, they said there's... Yeah, we don't know that there's a script yet. <laughs> quickly Stop. send them this. this
2: out, Steve. We'll keep this for ourselves. Yeah. What we need is them to remake or we'll make a film of Dino Riders but set it actually in space. That would be awesome.
3: the hell is Dino Riders?
2: Have I... You don't know... Was that Dino a game? It's a cartoon from, like, the 80s, I think.
3: Really? Oh... Oh, People no. riding
2: dinosaurs, shooting lasers.
3: Yeah. You know, oh, I was just I'm just a few years too old for that, probably. I was probably uh, doing drugs with Zammar around <laughs> on the back of the
0: podcast. On the script front, by the way, mm. it's, it's being written by Rick Jaffer and Amanda Silver, who wrote Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh,
3: oh excellent. That's awesome. Okay, this is, this is looking good. There's a right? good track record of sort of rebooting franchises there. Okay,
1: oh. yeah. Now I just need okay,
3: to look so that's promising. The only other things that really happened this week were we got two trailers for um, kind of not not the big uh, the big mainstream Hollywood releases, but two trailers for films that I'm very excited about. Two great,
1: play. two great trailers.
3: Two great trailers as well, and and kind of based on British source material, which is great. Which is the Kickass Two um, trailer and the Alan Partridge Alpha Papa teaser trailer, <laughs> which uh, didn't. I don't think it features anything from the actual film, but just is a, an appetite wetter. Whereas the Kick-Ass 2 one featured a lot from the film, it and it looks great, huge. <laughs> it looks very, very big, very flashy, and Jim Carrey looks like he's very much back on form. Jim, Jim Carrey um,
1: looked immense from that trailer alone. Yeah. Uh,
3: and at the, the event, I went to where Mark Miller was speaking at Glasgow film festival. He, he was very, very, uh, very much full of praise for the work that Jim Carrey did on set and said that that character wasn't written as a a main character, but basically Jim Carrey's performance turns it into a main character. So yeah, that looks, that looks really, really good. So both of those two films, very, very much excited about this summer. Um, and, yeah, we're starting to get the summer trailers through in the cinemas online now. So, If you I look at the it's... release schedule as well, it, it, it's a summer to be excited back, to be mm, fair. Definitely. And we will be doing our summer preview just in a couple of weeks, I think. So um, we'll have to be getting our thinking caps on. And it's definitely going to be a sense of, when each of us chooses our three films, I'm going to have to be reluctantly dropping films from that three should we, rather should, than scrabbling around looking should, for should films. We, should we burst.
1: eliminate something like Superman, Man of Steel straight that, away? Because, you know, when everyone... When we did
3: it last year, we said not including Prometheus and The Dark Knight Rises, didn't yeah. we? So I think we'll have... Let's, let's say Iron Man 3 and Superman... Uh, Are not in it. There we go. I like so the it's, way it's that hard. I like
1: the way that tonight we've done a lot of the stuff we should have done before we started recording.
3: <laughs> yeah, just uh, yeah. just like as which we like that we're okay. with the slightly <laughs> shambolic film. It's, it's, we'll, we'll call cast. it inside the active studio. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll say we're just giving the listeners a little, a little <laughs> the, the, view. Isn't <laughs> it? peek behind <laughs> peek behind the curtain. You know, Esen, show essentially, them list, essentially,
1: happens. listeners, the first fifteen minutes of every podcast now is going to be quiz when I can be bothered to do one uh news and us planning future podcasts and then we'll get on to yeah. stuff that you actually want to yeah, listen exactly. to.
3: News and so general admin. I mean, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. The minutes, <laughs> essentially. <laughs>
3: Any other business that yeah. general.
1: Didn't get apologies for James missing last week, but <laughs> uh, No. Sorry, I uh,
3: I was uh, in Goa finding yeah.
1: myself. <laughs> uh, right, that's the news done. So what we have been watching Jerry hasn't watched anything. I haven't watched anything I, I did star in a remake tonight of uh, Hans Molman's uh, Football, in um, Football in the Groin.
2: Football in the Groin! Football in the Groin!
1: Didn't work for me on many levels. <laughs> it reduced me to one level, just prone. Uh,
0: this is critic, Steve. It's not America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. So, that's two of us done already. Uh, but what... <laughs> Well, I've got I've got a quick one just yeah. to
0: throw this out there. What has been taking up my time partially? Uh has anybody been watching Broadchurch on ITV?
1: No, it's no. set it's set not but far keep, away from me though.
3: I keep hearing people talking about it and feel I should have watched it and I've maybe missed the boat on this. I'll, I'll just quickly
0: it's if you like sort of feature length crime dramas you're probably aware of it anyway because it's you know it's pretty much in that vein. But the reason that I watched it is because it's got the, basically the cream of British acting talent in there. It's David Tennant, Tennant Olivia Colman, uh, Vicky McClure from This Is England. If you've not seen her in anything else, she's just fantastic. Uh, there's people like Pauline Quirk in really minor roles.
1: Hasn't it got the one who was in Doctor Who? Who, who was the uh, Rory? The... Yeah, it was Neil. Yeah,
0: Rory's in it. Yeah, he's a, he's a vicar.
1: Is he good in that? I liked him in Doctor Who.
0: He's he's pretty decent. There we go. He's not. He's you know. But he's in a very much a small supporting role. He gets like uh, one, maybe two scenes an episode. Hmm. So it's very much, but it's a real good ensemble cast, tight story, really nicely shot. And it's I think it's over six or eight episodes, and we're into the three now. We can probably catch them on ITV. Play well worth a
3: watch. Okay, I'll, I'll have a look at that. Cheers, Jerry. Um...
2: Can I just say on the subject of like TV dramas? Did anyone watch In the Flesh? The new? Uh, no, I didn't. No, I thought I,
1: I did mean to. I just didn't remember when it was on. But I I, 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 don't, I
3: just don't watch much normal TV these days. from th- all Netflix. I
1: thought that um, Owen would watch it though. as it's zombie related?
2: Yeah, three part miniseries. It's quite different to what what I was expecting. You're never really sure when you get drama that's on BBC Three. You know. Mm. well it was, uh, most
1: sitcoms it was... on BBC Three are, are, are really being liberal with the term sitcom. They're more, yeah. they're more of a sit. There's definitely a situation. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but, you know, stuff that's been on there in the past, I've, I've kind of liked. Um, it, being human, well, up until, like, the third mm. series. I think being
1: good. being human was BBC, BBC Three's massive hit, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, in the flesh, is pretty good. It does something a little bit different with the whole, you know, zombie concept. And mm. it's a better guy who's had some medication, who was a zombie, and now they're being released back into society. It's not It's not really a comedy, but there's some lighter bits in it. It seems very dark from the first episode, so only three parts, so I'm going to stick with it. <laughs>
1: it's a ringing right, there we are. It's,
2: it's, good, it's got a lot of potential <laughs> no, I rather than being
1: in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I imagine Owen has watched enough films to make up for me and Jerry not watching any. So, Owen, <laughs> what have you watched this week?
2: Um, well, I'll do, uh, first of all, a very quick comparison between two films. Um, on Sunday, I watched back-to-back. I watched Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, um, which is the film that just narrowly narrowly missed out on my 1972 film article. And then after that, I watched Rise of the Planet of the Apes because I got it for the first time on the Blu-ray. So I watched it for the first time since it was released That's, in the cinema.
1: Is that, is that the new one or the old one, Rise?
2: Yeah, well, Rise is the new one. The yeah. one I I can tell you exactly when it was released. It was 11th of August 2011. That's I,
1: it. I, I I reviewed that not long ago. I mean, I thought I um, on the podcast that I I enjoyed it as a as a summer blockbuster. It was it was pretty good, especially compared to a lot of summer blockbusters we've had lately that have been pretty terrible like Transformers. Yeah,
2: definitely. I mean, I think I think I said at the time it it was um when you were reviewing it, I said that it was like the best sort of big blockbuster sci-fi that had been released since mm. District Nine. I think. Yeah. Um. It was very. I thought. I. I still think it's quite a clever film. I was kind of a little bit worried that maybe because I'd hyped it up quite a lot to myself before I saw it again, thinking I remember this as being this absolutely amazing sci-fi. Uh, action film and maybe it wouldn't hold up on on a rewatch, but it, it absolutely did. I think it benefited as well because I would watched Conquest before then. Because basically, Rise of, Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Conquest of the Planet of the Apes both deal with the same um, part of the history mm. uh, of, the, of those it, film series. So it
1: looks like they're. Con- go, sorry, it looks like they'll redo the whole series, but is it, three films rather than five. I think. And and end yeah, I mean, an con- and ending with Planet of the Apes. The next one will be kind of uh, Conquest. I think it would be the equivalent of and and, and then and, and then they'd finish the trilogy with Planet of the Apes. They wouldn't do a series of five again.
2: <clears throat> yeah, I don't know because con- Conquest is the fourth of five films. So Rise of the Planet of the Apes is the first of a, maybe a trilogy they mm. could do, but then. The, the fifth film in the series, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, is, and it's not really chronologically, it doesn't really fit properly. Because the, the, the third film and the fourth film, <laughs> trying to get this straight in my head, the, th- the third film and the fourth film are set in the past, even though Conquest is in the future from the past. So uh, basically, at the end of the second film, they go back. To the seventies, nineteen seventies, right?
1: Are you with me? Yeah. So been sort
2: of. <laughs> we've, we've established. You got time travel involved. Are,
1: are we? <laughs> are we going to throw in the ending to the Tim Burton remake to this that, little shot? Uh, <laughs> Jesus,
2: that was just ridiculous. That <laughs> was I think the way that he mental it. Until the, the, the final scene. I thought, well, they're kind of chicken-date of doing anything quite dramatic here. Yeah. They, then, they,
1: then Big Chimp Abraham Lincoln.
2: Big Chimp Abraham Lincoln. <laughs>
1: just, just like. Just,
2: uh, what the hell was that? Yeah, that, about? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that for the whole film in general was rubbish. It, when I watched Conquest of the Weekend, even though it's a really old film, you can tell it's quite a low budget and everything. Mm. Um, it was the first time my wife had seen that film. And even she sort of says, God, after we watched it, she said, God, that Tim Burton film really was awful, wasn't it? And it is, because even <laughs> it compared was. to like this, this old film, it doesn't matter about the special effects or anything like that. What's really good about um, the Planet of the Apes series is the sort of politics involved and it, the, the way it sort of deals with bigger issues. And, you know, the, I guess even in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, slavery is part of one of those issues it tries to what's, tackle. What's the one I mean, where
1: the, what's the one where the two apes come to sort of 1970s Earth.
2: That's the third film, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. That's it. I yeah. thought that not long ago. So that's, like... the, that's, <laughs> that's the third film, which is set in the 70s. Then Conquest of the Planet of the Apes is set in the future of 1991. Mm. So it's sort of 20 years after Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Um, but it's, they both, that and Rise of the Planet of the Apes, follow the story of Caesar as mm. he sort of leads an ape uprising. Yeah, um, But they're both fantastic. If you if you only watch sort of one of the sequels from the Planet of the Apes films, then I'd watch Conquest. I'd recommend that. It's, it still holds up as a really good film. Um, but anyway, I think that's enough for me saying Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and Planet of the Apes. I've said them quite a lot now. I was going to have a chat with Jerry about Citizen Kane, and James, I think, I think has got something to say about it as well, because I watched Citizen Kane for the first time this week. And... Uh I'd never seen it before. Uh as I say it was the first time. I was a little bit anxious going into it because it's got quite a big reputation as being this really important film and you know, it kinda makes you think, well, what if I go into it and then I don't like it? Is that does that have like a reflection on me and what I my intelligence might be compared to some other people's? You know, it seems stupid, but I think it, it does have this daunting reputation. Um but yeah, for me, I, I think it definitely, definitely lived up to the hype. I really enjoyed it, even away from the larger context of it being this, you know, really significant film and what it did for cinema and Orson Welles and all. It, it, I still think it was just, it was just great. It, partly because it has such a clever script to it, that the dialogue in it is just, just so sharp. Just it flows so brilliantly. The continuity of the film—I mean, it kind of jumps all over the place a little bit—but because of the way it's written and the way it's filmed, you still manage to, to follow it quite, quite closely. And I think it's sort of testament to to Orson Welles' skill as a, a filmmaker that in his first film he could do that. And um, yeah, I mean, I tried to watch it away from his context, and like I say, even even away from that, I still thought it was it was brilliant. But you weren't quite as impressed as me, I don't think, were you, Jerry? Don't get me wrong, I don't think it was a
0: bad film. And like like you say, there's a very much a sort of a film intelligentsia aura about Citizen yeah. Kane, shall we say. You know, it's very much, oh, Citizen Kane, best film ever. Oh, I, I'm so knowledgeable. And it's kind of like got this, you know, middle class, oh, I'm really into cinema, I watch black and white films, wanky <laughs> kind of thing attached to it. But <sighs> I know it comes out like sort of top or second in the sight sound list all the time. And it was a good film, but it's not the best film ever. It's not the best film I've ever seen. It's probably it's probably not in my top 20. It's good, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. I can see why it's significant and I can appreciate the good filmmaking, but it wasn't that good.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know what you mean. Um, I guess I, I I I did think it was that good. I, I would probably say that yeah, maybe maybe I wouldn't have it in the top twenty films either, but it's still one of the, the sort of one of the best films I've seen. I think. Oh, it'd, it'd make like my IMDb top two fifty kind of list. Yeah, but there's
0: a <laughs> that's, lot. That
3: that's I, very generous of you, Jerry.
0: You know what I mean, there's a lot that I can think <laughs> of that would be above
3: it. I but I think when when we're compiling our lists, you know, there there's a lot of personal uh filter and a lot of that when I'm making a list a lot of it goes down to enjoyment uh how much do I personally enjoy a film and yeah, Citizen Kane might not be in my top 10 top 20 in terms of films that I love but if I try and look at it objectively um and I I, and I do find it difficult to judge a film outside of its historical context I, I, I think once you know its historical content context is quite personally for me anyway it's difficult to judge a film beyond that um like like uh, like you say the fact that he made this this is his first you know as a young man he made that film at that time it's Mm. an incredible achievement um and some films date horribly despite being incredible achievements at the time you know quite recently Owen talked about uh, Birth of a Nation, for example, and things like that. And you can kind of look at those films and go, well, I appreciate the achievement there, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's a great film to watch now, in a sense. Uh, and that's beyond it. That's not even talking about it. its politics and things. But I think I can sit down and just watch Citizen Kane and enjoy it. I yeah. think in the way that people would have the first time they saw it. I, I think it's an absolutely fantastic film. Um, yeah yeah.
2: it is I mean even sort of by today's standards the whole thing just stands up as being a really good film I think I mean a lot of people think that because of um, the influence that Citizen Kane's had that a lot of the the way it's shot and directed doesn't seem fresh because everyone now does stuff that that did at at a time when it wasn't being done Um, so it's kind of diluted it's its sort of impact but I, I think even compared to films that do get released today, the standard that Citizen Kane is made to is still of a higher standard than some of the films that you see released that use similar kind of techniques, I think. Yeah, I, I
3: totally agree. And I think the reason it is always at the top of these lists is obviously there is a sense that uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, critics have passed down to critics over the years that this is the best film that was ever made, that kind of thing. But there was, I think, I think, when people are organising these lists, they they do give credit for being the first to do something, um, and and it is the first to do. It was the first film of its time. You know, it basically rewrote a lot of the rules of cinema. And I think part of the reason it is so highly rated is because there was nothing like it before. Um, wow. And and I, and I think it is important to recognise that and credit it. But like like Owen and like Jerry, I can see why some people would maybe just watch it today fresh and not see what the big fuss is about
0: but it's one of them films that you watch because you kind of need to watch it because it's significant right and i I fully appreciate that yeah but like you were saying there's films that you you want to enjoy and there's films you can look at objectively Mm. i'm not sure with cinema as much as i like to you know i like to think that i look at the cinematography and i look at the technical
3: aspects i can say that's a real achievement ultimately when you're watching films it's to enjoy them Mm, that's right, yeah. Oh, yeah, but oh, I, I, I genuinely enjoy Citizen Kane. I think there's incredible performances.
0: It's not that that I didn't shock enjoy brilliantly. it. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. I'm just saying, if, mm. if, you, if you're ranking like the sight and sound list, their criteria yeah. is not, I really enjoy watching this film. Their yeah. criteria is, oh, is it in black and white? Can I look really fucking intelligent by. <laughs> Has no one else really. Gary had held his tongue so well
2: up until <laughs> then. I kind I, 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 I of. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with Jerry's point. If you start trying to rank films by, you know, their technical achievements and what they've done, that means you you can't really start ranking films um, objectively because you'll know more about one film than you would another. So then you start saying, well, this film is more important than X film because X film didn't do such and such. But, you know, you might enjoy it a lot more on a personal level. So so it's kind of unless you know the context of every film that's released and how that fits into, you know, why it was made, how it was made, who made it, what their significance was, you you kind of, you're being not objective, you're you being very subjective, I think.
3: Yeah, and, and in the end, uh, you know, fil- uh, film is art, and it is like saying, oh, what's better, the Mona Lisa or The Last Supper or Van Gogh's Sunflower? You know, the fact is, it it just kind of brings into focus that, ranking historical films against each other is a bit of a fruits exercise anyway. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. It's a very good film. I think how You would struggle to watch it and not think that it's a very good film. Yeah. I just think that the sort of posturing that goes on about it is, it kind of spoils the effect of the film because you go in... And I can it's understand. It's a mind-blowing experience that's going to change your view on cinema and it's just a very, very good film. But mm. more. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
3: Um,
1: yeah. James, what have you watched this week?
3: Um, I've watched I've got a couple of new releases to talk about. I've watched um I've been trying to catch up on Kubrick films for next week's Kubrick special, so I won't talk about those now. I also uh watched um a really interesting film called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. I've heard of
1: it,
2: yeah. I, I a really, really
3: interesting film. Um but I'm writing that up for my nine no- 1962 decade pieces made it into my top five for 1962 so that'll be on the site soon but that's a really really interesting film i definitely recommend that um but the films i'm going to talk about first one is um welcome to the punch which was released on friday um it's a ridiculous title (laughs) it's a really memorable title i'll give it that i kept thinking welcome to the uh the film does kind of explain why it's called welcome to the punch it's not one of those really esoteric Things where you never find out why you do, kind of, and it half makes sense. But um it's directed by Aaron Creeby. It's the second film. He made a film called Shifty a couple of a few years back about London drug dealers. it stars Mark Strong, James McAvoy, Andrea Riseborough, Peter Mullen, David Morrissey, and my very good friend Jason Fleming. Always always a pleasure to see him pop up in a film. Um the plot basically is that uh Mark Strong plays this guy called Jacob Sternwood, who's an ex mastermind thief. He's he's left it all behind, but he's forced to return to London after his son is involved in a a job that's gone badly wrong. He's been shot and he's in hospital. So strong, uh, well, uh, Sternwood's coming back to London, and waiting for him is Max Lewinsky, who's played by James McAvoy, who is a cop that Sternwood badly injured, I shot him in the knee and basically messed up his knee uh, during his escape from london five years before in his big last job now what i would say is obviously the cast i've mentioned is a very british cast it's based in london uh, and it, it does a very good job of making london look quite like la or something like that there's a there's a real um michael mann influence on it a few of the scenes felt like straight out of heat uh or collateral Um, I've not seen Miami Vice yet actually but um, there there was a lot of Michael Mann style and actually at times it felt like a big budget BBC production that was directed by Tony Scott it was very very flashy but in in a good way um and then i saw it was actually it's actually a scott free production so it was executive produced by ridley scott and um tony scott apparently did some work in getting it developed as well and that that made a lot of sense the story itself is a bit old hat and derivative to be honest um you know copper in fact bits of it really do feel like heat um have you all seen heat yeah yes Owen (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. so you you've got the uh you've got the the grizzled copper you've got the gentleman thief um pulling together one last kind of mission project type thing uh and they end up meeting and they start to get respect for each other's worldview and things like that so it's very much like heat except it's about half as long and there's a lot more guns um and that that's the other confusing thing about the film it's got a very confusing message about guns because all the way through there's this subplot about politicians trying to get the police of the metropolitan uh you yeah, know the london met armed um uh, but these politicians seem a bit kind of dodgy uh and the message in the film seems to be all oh, guns are bad but they're pretty fucking cool at the same time, and so it, it sits on the fence a little bit about arming the police and the idea of um, more guns being on the street. But overall, I, I, I actually, despite all that, I, I did enjoy it. It was, uh, it didn't outstay its welcome. Um, it has some really good performances. Mark Strong is always very good in everything he does. I think he's one of the most consistent. Um, and you know, consistent British actors currently working at the moment. Uh, Peter Mullen was brilliant in this as well. I know Peter Mullen, Peter Mullen was in uh, Tyrannosaur, and he also played um, Mother Superior in Train Spotting, um, the, the drug dealer. Uh, there, he, he's always great to see. I was really, actually, very surprised by James McAvoy, who played the grizzled, kind of dirty cop—not not dirty in a in a corrupt way, but you know he was unshaven, lived in a bit of a messy flat, and he was a bit
1: fucking hell, mate. You know, did he, did he play by no one else's rules but his own?
3: Exactly, yeah. exactly. He was he was very much a, a kind of a, a maverick. Was, cop. It, was like, he basically like
1: say. a younger Ray Ray Winston doing the Sweeney?
3: He was a little bit less dodgy. Little, he was
1: more a um, little bit less what Ray? Yeah, he yeah. was
3: more like um. John Thor in the original one, rather yeah. than a Ray Winston. Yeah, he was more like TV Sweeney. Um, was Dennis Waterman in the Sweeney? I can't remember. Sw- no, he
1: was he was in, yeah. in to Minder.
3: He was in Minder, Minder. but I, I think because John he Thor had a the younger theme partner. Theme. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm getting a little bit off track. It, but anyway, he, he, I wasn't expecting his performance to be as good as it was. Um, uh, Andrea Riseborough. Really good actress, actually. She's doing a lot of good stuff. She's going to be in. The, she's in the new Tom Cruise film, Oblivion. I'll be honest. She does the best she can with what is essentially a very generic female junior officer type role. Um, yeah, there's some funny moments. There's some really good actiony set pieces. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And like I say, um, it's, a, it's an action film which is got a bit of violence and isn't much longer than ninety minutes. And they seem to be a rarity these days. So. It's, it's definitely worth a look. Um, the other film I saw was The Incredible Burt Wonderstone. Uh, so it's, uh, it's directed by Don Scardino, who hasn't really done anything in films, but he's directed a lot of TV, including 38 episodes of 30 Rock. Uh, so he's got a lot of comedy direction background. It's also got Steve Carell, Steve Buscemi, Jim Carrey, James Gandolfini, Olivia Wilde, and Alan Arkin. So there's a lot of... People. There's a lot of comedic talent on board here. Um, it's written by the writers who wrote "Horrible Bosses," which I thought was all right; it was decent-ish, um, but I think that is where one of its problems are. I was have since come home from watching it, and I've had a look at a couple of my script writing books. There's loads of script writing books you can get. One of them, probably the most famous one at the moment, is called "Save the Cat," and this film script kind of ticks loads of boxes in these script writing manuals which are handed out by studios to their readers who are accepting scripts and the problem with this film is loads of it feels like it's been written to get a studio to make it rather than it's been written as a labor of love i i liked it but just to quickly tell you about it but wonderstone and anton uh, played by Steve Carell and Anton Marvelton played by Steve Buscemi, been friends since school, uh, and they've got a magic act and they're packing out Vegas theatres. The problem is they stopped being friends a long time ago and now an edgy street magician, kind of David Blaine-esque magician played by Jim Carey, who goes by the name of Steve Gray. He's basically making their act look stale and things start to fall apart for them. Like I said, there's a lot of talent involved here, but it doesn't completely deliver on its promise at all. Um i enjoyed it to an extent uh i I counted double digit laughs so it's already ahead of um ted and the dictator from last year in those kind of stakes like i said it was predictable it was unoriginal you could see the plot twists and turns what it's almost doing them a disservice to call them twists to be honest uh you could see them coming a mile off but i thought it had a charm this was quite interesting because i had a I had a chat with Owen online about it because I know Owen was not at all impressed by it. And it was only through talking to her that I realized kind of what I, what I felt I liked about it. And that it was, it is really old fashioned. It's a really old fashioned comedy. Um, it's not offensive, you know, certainly to groups of people or minorities. It seems that most comedies I've seen recently has got someone saying things that they shouldn't be saying, you know, um, but in this film, there wasn't all, all the jokes, the characters are the butt of the jokes, essentially. And I know we shouldn't award prizes for niceness and trying hard and things like that. But actually, in the current climate, I think this was a braver film than a supposed risky film like The Dictator, because it, it tried to do something that not many comedies do these days. The problem is, like I say, it's, um, it's just not good enough it's decent it's okay i'm never going to watch it again um it was a perfectly adequate way to spend 90 minutes uh and and seeing alan arkin on screen is always a pleasure but i can't really recommend it any higher than it was all right
2: yeah i i didn't even think it was all right i didn't even
3: think
2: it was all right no i mean i do take your point about how the film is mainly it's not really about having gag after gag it's not mm-hmm. it's not a gag reel at all it is based on the, the performances mainly it tries to get the laughs from from the performances yeah. of people that's why people like jim carrey are in it and yeah. you know and, and steve carell that's what they they they're there for but i don't think they were funny enough um the story itself is just such a basic redemption Oops. story yeah. that, it's basically someone thought of a story, someone else wrote the script, and then they actually forgot to put any anything in there to make anybody laugh. So I thought, well, well... I think we'll... that's a bit harsh. I
3: think that there's, there's a, there was a few set pieces. There was the... Um, I'm just trying to think. I think... I do think that Jim Carrey's street magic stuff, um, especially at the beginning, gets a little bit tired towards the end, but at the beginning is, is well done. Um... There's but a how, bit
2: much, where... how much of that is like scripted though? I mean, isn't that kind of what my point was that it's based on the performances. So no, they no, just that's let him
3: do, right. can okay. we just go and okay, yeah. do your thing. Okay, well the performances made me laugh enough to yeah. keep me not bored really for the for the ninety minutes. No, I see what you mean. No, there aren't any there's there's a few good lines, but there aren't many great lines, and no, you're exactly right. it's it is relying on the goodwill of people enjoying seeing these people on screen. And yeah. I, I I get that.
2: And the the, the stuff in it when they, when they're trying to actually write jokes into it, which I thought was, I I didn't find any. It didn't really make me laugh at all. All the way through, I chuckled to a couple of bits. It reminded me of something like the campaign from last year mm. with uh, Will Ferrell in it, and I just thought the, the jokes that it's trying to do. Like there's a bit with um, Steve Buscemi, who's, um on some kind of uh it, is it africa he's in and he's giving it cambodia i think cambodia
3: yeah. cambodia yeah.
2: and i just thought it was just so sh- stupid <laughs> it's p- yeah. past the point of being stupid funny and yeah. just i just yeah didn't get on with and it,
3: then, it and then you realize it was just a it was just a plot crowbar point anyway yeah exactly uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah no no I, no i know. i totally get that and it, in some ways it actually reminds me of um the the old saturday night live sketches i think these characters feel like they could have come from Saturday Night Live sketches and how many Saturday Night Live sketches have made a successful transition to full screen movie not many yeah uh, Wayne's World is probably the most famous of them um, Blues Brothers as well but it they they did feel like there, it felt like there was some fun to be had here, but it just couldn't. It couldn't stretch out over a ninety-minute film. But like I said, well, it wasn't. It was by no means terrible, in my opinion. There we go.
2: It was just <laughs> just very stick
3: that on the poster.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was just very by the numbers. I think. They yeah, just, it, just, they, it was very,
3: a... very, very vanilla. But like yeah. I said, I, I just found it quite interesting that. When I thought about it, I've not really seen a comedy like this for a few years. Um, although, like they say, you saw you saw the camera. but even in the bits in the trailer, still felt a little bit outrageous and shocking. Of the yeah, there was nothing outrageous and shocking about this, and in a way, that was interesting on its own. Yeah.
0: Anything else you've
1: watched this week?
3: Uh no no, that's that's me all, all, yeah. all that you down. That's you spent yes,
1: uh onto to the main review of this week's podcast then um and Owen should probably set this up as he is the one who made us watch it
2: okay, I will do uh <laughs> yes, the film I chose uh, to make everybody watch uh is an Australian stop motion animation called Mary and Max, which was released in two thousand nine, written, directed, animated, everything by a guy called Adam Elliott, who's probably before Mary and Max was probably best known for his um his animated short called Harvey Crumpet, which won an Oscar. Um so yeah, this Mary and Max didn't win an Oscar, but it's his first sort of and only full feature film. So it's about two pen pals, uh one called Mary, who's a young eight year old got eight year old girl uh, who um, lives in uh, Melbourne and about a guy called Max who is a rather complicated guy who's about mid-40s and uh, very obese, severely obese and uh, he's living in New York and they become pen pals um, when Mary tries to find out where babies come from in America and it's... um, I really, really like Mary and Max. I think it's... I watched it again before we did the podcast, and I think it's probably the fourth time I've seen it now. And um, it's just one of one of those films I could just watch any time, really. I it's just so it, it's just so uh, emotional, I guess. There, there isn't many films I know. I've already seen what James has thought of this film um, online, so I know it's going to be a bit odd that it's not. I don't normally cry at films, but Mary and Max is the one that whenever I watch it, it brings me close to tears. So, um sort of switched roles with James, I think, on this yeah. film. But um, I've got a heart of stone. <laughs> James, are you trying to tell me you didn't cry?
3: No, not told nothing.
2: Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very, I think it's a very funny film as well. So, you know, whenever it does get, it, it does, I think it gets really sort of heart-stoppingly sad at sometimes, And it's, but it's, it's very funny as well. So whenever it's it's doing these kind of sweeter and softer moments, there's, there's always something a bit, um, well, charming about it. I mean, you used the word for, for, for Wonderstone. I think it, there is a lot of charm to uh, Mary yeah. and Max. But, um, yeah, so what? I'm, I'm excited. What did you guys think? I really liked it. I, I really, really liked it. Yes.
0: Well
3: done, Jerry. Had you seen it before, Jerry? No. Okay, okay.
0: Um, I mean, I I know you didn't enjoy Paranorman that much last year either, did
3: you, James? No, I I, I liked Paranorman. Um, I like, and this is the thing, I liked it to the extent that I think I can like stop motion films. I think I've got an issue with stop motion, but I'll kind of come on to that. I'll let you finish, Jerry.
0: Yeah, it's more. I mean, I really liked Paranorman, and. This was sort of paranormal,
3: but adults, if you know what I mean. Sort of Coraline and There, It was a lot more adult than I thought it would be. Yeah. Would say that, yeah.
0: Um, it was really good. As Owen says, there's there's a lot of humour in it, which I think offsets it and stops it from feeling sort of saccharine and, and cheesy. And it, it makes it feel a lot more genuine when there is real sort of an, an emotional connection in there. And there was a there's a couple of bits in that, there's a couple of scenes that are really, really get to get to you. Uh there's one bit where she's writing a letter about um stuff that happens to her in school and so, oh gosh. Awful <laughs> awful. Yeah. Um, I believe I said to Owen uh simultaneously, Thank you and fuck you for me.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it was a bit of a roller coaster, but I really enjoyable film, really liked it. Um I think you have to kind of buy into it because there's a definite sort of style mm-hmm. and mindset to it yeah and i can i can understand fully that if you didn't buy into that mindset you would have problems with this film but i think most people are going to buy into it
2: yeah i think well i think from the first sort of 30 seconds of the film with the opening lines about her birthmark the color of poo and stuff you're either gonna think from that moment on i like this film or i hate this film and and um, Barry
0: Humphrey's
2: narration's fantastic by the way isn't it just though I mean
3: he's just fantastic that was one thing I actually I liked all the voice work on it Um, Barry Humphrey's great Philip Seymour Hoffman was fantastic you know Hmm. uh, he he basically created Max uh, for me more so actually than the animation Um, and Tony Collette uh, as Mary as well really really, and I saw I didn't realise at the time but I saw looking through IMDB that Eric Banner did Damien uh, yeah. So that, that you know, they've got some real kind of heavyweights involved there. um Yeah, I do just want to pick up on that first point that I made, um and I, I don't like starting off with a negative. But and it's it's not necessarily a criticism of the film; it's more a criticism of the form and myself. I, I I'm just I I've tried so hard. I just cannot love a stop motion film. I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, and <laughs> Fair enough. I, you know, I think people. it. I think it just must be in the same way that some people can't love a musical. You know, and they can appreciate it for what it does. And it's the same here. I think this is a very, this is a very, very good stop motion film. Um, I just, I couldn't enter the world, and I think there's something about the form itself that I can't buy into. Um, so you know, there, there is. There, there, so I've got that issue.
0: I would have thought this would have the same effect as Les Mis had on me, and that I don't like musicals, but I
3: could sort of
0: overlook it for that.
3: Is it not? It, as- it, no, I think the the one, it, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox is the one stop motion film I've ever loved. Um, uh, I think there. You're I not a human if you don't love Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> I know, yeah, that's no, true. Um, but I think I did have a few other issues about the film. Um,
2: okay, should again- we get Steve's views then before yes, we talk about the yeah. issues? Because
1: I want to tackle these, I'm ready for these. No. <laughs> tackle what my views, or, tackle my views, or the issues. Uh, your goes.
2: views.
1: What did you think of it? Oh, it was all right. <laughs> I, I okay. thought, I thought the the bet, for me, the best part of it, which no one's mentioned yet, is the soundtrack and the way it works with the film, mm. the way that the, the, the soundtrack marries up with what's happening in the film.
0: The typewriter scene, you want know, about Steve?
1: That specifically, but in general, the whole film it works really well. Yeah, it's but I, 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 right. I thought it was okay. There was some some nice bits in it, but quite sim, you know, on that, you know, in the same side of the coin, I was bored through parts of it, and it's not something I'd be in a hurry to watch again. If some, if someone put it on, I'd watch it again. I wouldn't watch it again out of my own choice. Um, I wasn't overly enamoured with it.
3: Hmm what I, do, I i really liked the first 30 minutes um I, you know i i did and that was in spite of it being stop motion. i there were some very funny lines there um but after half an hour for me personally i at times i felt the, the whimsical side of it was a little forced and it was a little kind of like willy, willfully surreal where it didn't need to be sometimes um and and for me I, I thought at times that during the kind of middle third and a bit more the story was a little bit melodramatic and a bit simple and repetitive and i was getting a little bit bored of the 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 misery it it was far more depressing than i thought it would be uh and yeah it, i think it had a great it's, it's, ending I yep. I you know I didn't cry but I I appreciated the ending I thought it was a I thought it was a, a touching ending um but I yeah at times I just felt there were bit there were leaps in the story it wasn't just the um because of the stop motion stop motion I couldn't suspend my disbelief there were kind of plot points and things that I thought oh no that's silly uh, and and they they just took me out of the film slightly um and I don't want to go into too much of it, but there's, you know, uh, it's it mainly during her, uh, Mary's period, when she's a little bit more grown up, a few plot points happened there, and they just didn't feel, it didn't feel believable enough for me, and it, it kind of took me out of the film a little bit. Um, well, you know, that,
2: that's fair enough, everyone's sort of... Yeah, gonna have their own opinion of it. I mean where where you probably thought it was silly, I kinda think it's it's playful and it's trying mm. to lighten yeah. the mood oh, yeah, why, You know, rather than being just um a bit a bit natural, a bit silly mm. like but you know, I think it's a it's what well, it is a is a very brutally honest film, you know. The way mm. that it tries to tries to deal with things like, you know, uh, anxiety, child neglect even depression yeah. and you know, Asperger's syndrome and and things that Things that like, all all the issues that surround that it, it it does it in a very sensitive way um mm. while still being quite light about it you know it's
3: yeah you know, I think it was that I think it was just sometimes the uh the two of those bits clashed a bit too much for me at times I think tonally at times I was a little bit kind of dragged from one side to the other uh um,
2: oh yeah I mean it's definitely got that split in it because both sides you know it's very clever in the way that it makes you see both people's worlds through their yeah. eyes from everything yes. from making max's world in black and white to kind of reflect mm. his is his, um you know the asperger's syndrome yes. where everything yeah everything is, is black and white to him to to mary's more you know a favorite colors brain so everything's kind of like a shade of brain but there are yeah. very bright colors in it so it reflects her personality and i think in that in that way it's i think it is very um a very clever film
3: yeah um, and and again, yeah, I, I don't want to be too down. It's it's clearly a very beautifully made film made with a lot of love, and I can totally understand why people would rave about it. And I, and um, even though it wouldn't be in my IMDb top two hundred and fifty, I'm really pleased that it is in the IMDb top two hundred and fifty because it's the kind of film that actually. I'd want more. I'd wanted to get a bigger audience just because I didn't enjoy it loads. I think other people would, and it is weirdly, it's one of those films that I probably would recommend to other people, despite the fact that I didn't hugely buy into it, because I can see that other people would love it to bits, and I know I can see why they would. Um, like I said, I just thought it, in in a few places. I thought I I I thought the writing I thought the script let it down a little bit in terms of its structure and its tone, Um, but it still made me laugh all the way through, and it was it was very clever in places.
2: Hmm. I think one of the things that I really like about it um, is the way that the the, the relationship between Mary and Max. When you first hear about what the story is,
0: Hmm.
2: you do wonder, uh, and particularly from like the way it starts, you do wonder. If it's going to take a rather sinister turn, at any I'd point. say
3: I never did. I never did.
2: I, I'm clearly naive, despite
3: the fact <laughs> I'm working child protection, which is a scary thought. Um, I'd, 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 maybe it was because I'd heard people tell me it was a really touching story. Yeah. I, I kind of was prepared for the fact there was not going to be any grooming and sexual abuse in there. <laughs> um,
2: I think the first time but I, I was- wasn't
3: prepared for how actually quite upsetting uh, it was. In other ways, mm. there's a few key scenes which actually I struggled to watch. Um, and again, like I said, I think part of my problem with it was I was going from laughing one minute to that, and I, I can totally understand why that's important. I can totally understand why the direct—I—I I, I can see that um, the director wanted to make people do that. I just personally felt a bit uncomfortable going from such light to dark so quickly.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it definitely yeah. does that. There's yeah. no, yeah. no getting away from it. It definitely goes from very light, very dark, uh, you know, the flick of a switch almost. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, I mean, even when there's there's dark stuff happening in it, it's still made into a, almost a a, a not a, a, not a hilariously funny moment, but a kind of quirky funny or a, you know, a very like I said earlier, like a playful kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Stuff like his goldfish that keeps dying, and he keeps getting yeah. a new one, and then showing different ways for the goldfish dying. It's quite a, sort of yeah. a sad, dark I just,
3: thing, I, really. I did, quite, I, I did laugh at that. That was quite
2: funny. Yeah, but yeah, it, they, they make it quite funny, so, <laughs> you know. But yeah, uh, there, there was a
3: couple, of, like, I, I remember one bit where, um, and it's not a spoiler at all because it's just a small bit that happens, but his air conditioner falls out and kills a mime artist on the paper. <laughs> That, that to me, just jarred slightly. It was a few moments like that. It just felt like needless, weird violence that I, <laughs> that I just wasn't quite happy with. But um, like I say, I, I, I don't want to be too down on it because I can I can appreciate that it is a very, very good film in terms of what it was trying to achieve. It just wasn't really my cup of tea. and I'm a bit disappointed because I thought it might be that that's... I, know, I really thought it was going to be one of those films that I I kind of fell in love with. And like Jerry said, I thought it might have been the film that got me over my stop motion thing. Um, because the guy who I've co-written our short film with, he's a massive fan of this. And he told me I'd love it as well. So I, I feel really bad for not liking it.
2: I felt sure that you would cry at some points. Yeah. I felt no, sure no. of it. That's the most shocking thing, really. <laughs> <laughs> Did it get you
0: as well, Jerry? It didn't quite cry, but it, it it was very emotional.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it,
0: it, it was I I could understand fully why someone would cry. I did put it that way.
3: Yeah. Someone uh, like James, maybe. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> See, I and Owen it, just to rub Owen's face it, a little bit more. I, I had tears during Wreck It Ralph, and I didn't have <laughs> tears on. Oh, and, what? I know. I know. Yeah, I don't understand. I'm a strange, strange, confusing person.
1: And does that wrap it up for for Mary and Max then? I think so. Yeah,
3: yeah. I I, I definitely recommend people watch it. It just might not be
1: for you. That's all. And that wraps. Well,
2: I'm, I'm glad people liked it anyway, even if they didn't love it.
1: Yeah. yeah, and that wraps it up for this week's podcast. And what's next week, James?
3: Uh, Next week is we finally get around to doing our Stanley Kubrick special. Basically, our next Corridor of Praise inductee will be the almighty Stanley Kubrick. And in honour of the great man, we are throwing open next week's episode entirely to Stanley Kubrick. So we can really kind of delve in there, dig into some of his work. Um, So, yeah, next week, a Stanley Kubrick special where I think bar his very first film will be in a position where at least one of us will be able to talk about every single one of those films. So that's that's going to be good for anyone who likes Stanley <laughs> Kubrick, it. If you don't like Stanley Kubrick, fuck next week.
1: And what's the week after?
3: Um, the week after, I think, is, um, I think, with, the main review is G.I. Joe Retaliation.
1: <laughs> See, that looks, that looks quite good to me. It's The Rock and Bruce Willis. I, it looks...
3: Yeah, I, 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 genuinely think it's going to be
1: fun, fun, fun nonsense
3: and an experience. And there are a few, apparently there's still an embargo on it. And, um, a website that I followed didn't realize there was an embargo and they said it is the most, me- there, there is there was so much wrong with it, but, but they can't help thinking about it. <laughs> it it seems, and, and I love it when an action film just goes balls to balls out. Crash and burn. Uh, you know that's just, If it's going to be bad, I want it to be bonkers, mental, horrifically bad, rather than just mediocre. So we'll see. But it's got The Rock in it, and it's got Bruce Willis. Um, I was
0: gonna say, it, it continues the vein of It's got The Rock in. Yeah, it.
3: got
1: a, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Journey to the Mysterious Island.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm still drawing my personal line there, but.
1: I didn't. I would watch any old tap for this podcast. I've still got to find uh, a copy of I didn't watch John Carr. I did say this last week when you went on, James. Oh I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. No, watch... listen, I, yeah. I couldn't you, even be, couldn't bothered be bothered to watch that mindless uh, drivel all the way through.
3: I know. This this could well be the summer where the Rock really because he's got Snitch coming out soon, which actually looks good. Um, and then we've got, and I can't believe, Pain and Gain, the new mm. Michael Bay film. Yes. We've got The Rock and Mark Wahlberg as some kind of crime-fighting bodybuilders.
0: Listen, imagine if you were the producer who got gotten the pitch to you. You'd be like, fuck, where do I sign? How much do I yeah.
3: <laughs> Seriously, are their names pain and gain? That's amazing. <laughs>
0: that is what? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't care how much it takes to make
2: it. Yes. No, take take my money.
3: Yeah. Yes. Oh plus um the new uh, Fast and Furious 6. I've still not seen 5 and everyone tells me I should watch Fast and Furious 5. Yeah, it's pretty uh, good. it's pretty good. Yeah. I thought a, the trailer a, a new... for
1: 6 looked all right. I haven't watched any of them since like 3. But it's yeah, it looked... no, I've heard I look, I looked it, I looked I thought it looked all right for a, just a, a silly action film. It looks fine. Yeah. But Vin so... Diesel, but Vin Diesel's looking old.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and is it Paul Walker or something like that and he looks pretty old as well. Mm. But the Rock. Just, I saw. Um, I saw the the premiere of Joe Retaliation in the pictures. The Rock looks like three people across. He he, stood there, He makes Channing Tatum look like he, a teenager. He
1: is. He is back in. You know, he's got WrestleMania coming up, so he's got to be. Exactly. I don't know who he's I'll, fighting. I'll, I don't follow I'll, it, but you know, he's, he's I'll even there.
3: watch WrestleMania. I'll. I, I, I. I'm. We're there now. We, we will watch anything with the Rock.
1: <laughs> uh, round up this podcast. Then, so thanks to everyone yes. for contributing. Um, and everyone for listening and everyone for sending stuff into us and for Kevin McLeod, McLeod. from Incompetech.com <laughs> for, for that music. Not the Emmerdale theme tune, the other one. Yeah. He didn't, he can't, we, I, I don't know who done the Emmerdale theme tune, but thanks to them as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: That, that, that should, that's legally fine. There, we've recommend. covered
1: everything now. <laughs> uh, see, see you next week for Stanley Kubrick.